Thank you. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Can we declare the word of understanding so we can sit down? One, two, let's go. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I may feel with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. Word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 The Lord will endow you with fresh wisdom. Fresh, fresh wisdom for you today in the name of Jesus Christ. New insight to take you to another level in Christ-likeness. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please greet somebody on your left and your right while we take our seats. Let the person you are welcome. And you are blessed. All right, the Lord is good. Now, I want us to start um, today by reading from the book of James, chapter 2. I just want to bring out something. It just kind of hurts in my heart. And now, we have been speaking about um, uh, being agents of faith and light for a while. I probably will be switching, it's just continuous, but we may give it a new set of titles to what we have beginning from today. I'm not sure which title to give it yet, but we'll find something. Uh, but you know, when we're talking about being agents of faith and light, I explained, uh, the last night I explained is the fact that religion is the essence of culture. What that means is that the thing behind, do you understand, is religion. What you see in front, outwardly, is culture. And that the cloak, all right, that is a cloak that uh, religion wears is culture. How people behave, how they spend their money, how they relate with each other, how they dress. Yes, it gets to that. How they dress, how they perform marriage ceremonies, how they perform burial ceremonies, how they mourn the dead. It's very important, all right? Those things are the things we call culture. Do you understand my point? And the foundation, the deep foundation for every one of it is around the religion of the people. It's around the religion of the people. You see, what God did for Israel was to create a new culture for them. They were different from the people, the peoples around them. The men of Israel, there was a way they cut their hair. All right, There was a way they were not allowed to. The kind of clothes they wore. All right? The neighbors around them didn't wear those clothes. When I say no, I mean the material. The Israelite was not allowed to mix wool with cotton. That was not allowed. He had that wool wool or wool cotton. You understand? He couldn't mix them. That was their culture. There was a culture in harvesting. When they're harvesting their fields, there's a way. Just looking at the people harvesting, you know are these Israelites or they are Gentiles. Because you see, an Israelite was commanded by God not to go over the same road twice. So you see, an Israelite will start at one end and he continue moving and he will never turn back. And you will notice something about the Israelite. He will not harvest the edges of his fields. And now sometimes what happens is that generations later, somebody will just say that in our place we don't harvest the edges of our fields. And they won't know why. If you harvest the edges, Ogun will be angry. <laughs> you understand? Obatala will be angry. Amadioha will rise up. They won't know why it began. But for the Jews, it was God's way of providing for those that did not have their own farms. So the time of harvest, everybody went to harvest. You must understand that as much as God wanted them to have a storehouse where the poor could go to, 
God preferred that even if the poor did not have a farm, he should still go and harvest. He didn't want anybody staying at home while they harvested food for you. Just because you say you are poor. The time of harvest, you will go to the farms. Yes, you do not have. Wait behind the reapers or either own the farms. You will wait behind them and then as they are reaping, you also be reaping the leftovers. But you have to come to work. You couldn't stay at home and be eating. That's how God did it. So there was a culture even in harvesting. There was a culture when you finished harvesting, the first thing you did, all right, was to take a portion of your harvest and go to the temple. That was a culture. Three times a year, they had a culture of going for sacrifices. They had a culture of offerings. They had those things. So everything was a culture that God created for Israel. The foundation of the culture was a relationship with Jehovah, with Yahweh, whichever way you want to pronounce his name. The foundation was a relationship with the God of Israel, which they caught as a covenant, which is reenacted every time a male child is born. The boy will be circumcised on the eighth day to show that his father believed in that covenant. It was not his own covenant. It was the covenant of his father. Do you understand? So they had the culture. Now, what am I going to explain? Your religion will always produce a culture. It will. It will produce external, you know, behavior. Now, that's what, bear that in mind. So I was saying that last time. And, you know, when God wants to bless people, many of the things, blessings he wants to bring to you, we work out through the new habits. For example, a woman and her husband may be having serious marital problems. And she will pray and pray and pray. And God will answer the prayer. He will release the spirit of harmony, the spirit of reconciliation, the spirit of joy, the spirit of peace he will release into the house. But they will never tap into that except they learn the culture of God concerning marriage. Are you getting my point here? Now, even though they have prayed, and that's something I want, to, I want us to understand. Many times we pray for things, God will say, these things that you have prayed for, they will come into your life only when you put things in order that, allow, that will allow my spirits to flow. If you have... Let me see that magazine. Which edition? Is, okay, no, I have one here, actually. Yes, if you have this edition of our magazine, this last one, all right? It's titled, Don't Short Circuit Your Blessing. What, I'm, what I just mentioned, I just realized that it's inside there. In fact, that's what I discussed. I discussed it. The presence of God, why did he give them to us? Why did he say behave like this? What he was saying is that, except you walk according to what I have written, according to my instructions, the blessing I have prepared for you can't flow. In Nigeria, for a long time, our major problem was not, you know, we, we had problem with power, all right? Yet, many times, the problem was with transmission and distribution. Many times, to even eat this in Enugu here, TCN will send power, and they will say to them, we can't handle it. That is, you'll be in your homes, complain that too much power failure. You don't know that EEDC is having problems delivering it to you. The power has been generated. It's been sent to Enugu. But they will call the people and say, please, the amount of power you are giving us is too heavy. So those ones will divert power, maybe to Port Harcourt. Those ones will divert power, maybe to Lagos. Yet you are in your homes saying that uh, there's power shortage. I'm getting only 12 hours in a day, 18 hours in a day, 10 hours a day. You won't know that the person who generates the power is offering a lot more. But the person that's supposed to distribute it to your homes, he can't handle it. Because for your street, he needs a new transformer. 
It needs, a, it needs more step-down transformers. You know, those massive things that will bring down 11,000, no, not 11,000, it's still small, but 330,000, 660,000, those ones that will bring them down to 11,000 and then move them to your street, and then your transformer will now take it and break it down to the 220 that we use. All those things are not in place. So heaven is generating power. You need prosperity in the home. You need progress. Yet the distribution into that place is not working. Are you getting my point here? So then, what, that's why if you, if you bother to read some of these things, you will see, you know, they keep on trying to rearrange. Okay, how do we do? No, so you see EDC, I think they do all over the country. They're coming to each street now and hanging small transformers, one per street. It's part of their strategies for ensuring that all the power being generated can reach people. There was a time the major problem in Nigeria was transmission from the generating plants down to a place like Enugu. Those major lines you see inside the bush, they didn't have enough. They solved that sometime earlier on this year. Now, you see, so when God releases a blessing, many times we don't experience a blessing. The reason is simply because the infrastructure for distribution is um, incomplete. It's out of order. And those are the things we call the precepts of God. Simply put, you see the way a man talks to his wife, a woman talks to her husband. God says, listen, I have a lot of blessing in this house, yet you will not get it. It's hanging around your roof. I just need a connection made. You make that, make that connection, blessing will flow into the home. That's just the way it works. Now, I told you, was it I mentioned it last time? I was, I was listening to somebody, talk, he said, jump, jump, was it jump? Only one preacher anyway. He did something. And the thing was, things went badly. So he went and prayed and prayed and prayed. Lord, help me. Why did things go like this? And he perceived the Holy Spirit telling him that I warned you not to do this. And he thought, said, Lord, no, you ne- there was no time. I got the warning not to do this. So he went to his father and discovered his father. The moment his father heard what he did, he said, how could you be so foolish to do such a thing? It will never work. The father said, if you had told me ahead, I would have told you, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. Now, that was what God said, meant when he said, I told you, even though he never heard it. God had placed the word in the mouth of his father. What he needed to do was to ask him for the counsel, and he would have heard it. But because he did not regard that word so strong, you understand, enough in his life, he missed the counsel of God. If you ask my wife, one thing I used to tell her those days, I said, don't worry, God will not talk to you anywhere else apart from through me. Now, you say, you have been arrogant. No, I'm her husband. It's an office. It is a job. You say, yes, I do. If you don't think I can speak into your life, don't, you shouldn't have married me. It's too late now. You've married me. So better go and get the face to listen to me. You say, does it mean I'm always correct? That's why you need to pray for me so that I'll always be correct. <laughs> no, I was preaching at Bakliki this morning, and I told them, listen, I said, look, those of you think you are spiritual. So you're a prophetess. You go home, you prophesying for your husband. That's why you won't have peace. I said, better collect your prophecy when you're in church. When you're in church, take the prophetic word and give it. When you get home, shut up. You're not the prophet in this house. The guy is. Your husband says something. He says, I checked my spirit. My spirit does not agree. Your spirit is high on drugs. Listen to me. <laughs> I know what I have told you. There are some spirits that smoke. My spirit is not agree. If you want to talk to your husband, just tell him simply, honey, please, 
ah, this thing you said, I really don't like it. Doesn't it not doesn't grow, doesn't go down well with me. Can you think about it again? Okay, I'm asking you, can we postpone it for a day while you think about it again? I just don't feel easy about it. But once you just come with my spirit said, you're a witch. It's witchcraft. It's Christian witchcraft. You want to oppress the man. You want to use the fear of God to take over the authority supposed to win, you know, wield in the house. The man can't talk again now because the wife speaks in tongues. There are problems I've never had. My wife has never been spiritual. <laughs> I'm not a spiritual man. In that area, you know what I'm going to say. Real spirituality is not that your spirit is talking to you. Real spirituality is that are you using the word of God to create the standards by which you live? That's true spirituality. That's true spirituality. All the shmama, shmama, we can't talk to you. Your spirit is talking to you on the other side. It's the reason why there's confusion in the society. Christians will not build up their faith with God's word. They want to be hearing spirits. Balaam had God, yet God almost fried him. Well, no, for the spirit possessed donkey that delivered him. Listen, as a matter of fact, so the man, God told him, listen, the problem is that you did not, you didn't give a high enough regard to the words I put in the mouth of your father. That's why you're having this problem. I want to recommend everybody, go and get it. And if you are listening to this, you can't lay hands on the, um, on the, this thing, on the magazine. Just go to our website, you look for this, be, be, the, the sermon titled, Don't Short-Circuit Your Blessing. I'm sure we'll put it up there, all right? It will be there. Read it. What I try to explain in there is, listen, you need to allow the blessings to flow. Not by continually praying for it, but by putting things in order, putting enough structures there that will allow the blessing to move in. The blessing is hanging. It's just waiting for proper connections to be made. Let's bear that in mind. So many times God wants to bless us. The reason why the blessing hasn't come is simply because we have not yet put the, you know, the altar in order. We have not built it so the fire can't fall. Now let's read what I said we should read. So that's why it's so important having Christian, a Christian culture in our personal lives. Some of these cultures are even individual. I call them testimonies. Something that's just unique to you. For some people, they will find that local. They don't, they don't discuss business before 9 o'clock. That's become their culture. Now, I'm not saying it's everybody's culture. What is his reason? Because he always prays from 7 to 8.30. So any business you bring, he can't listen to. He's busy praying to God. Spreading God's word over everything that he's doing. He's still busy with that. That's a personal culture. David called those things testimonies. Let's read um, John chapter, uh, sorry, James chapter 2, verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, and be filled. And yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? That is the faith you are operating by. In verse 17, it now says, even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith, and I have works. This is a challenge. James says, show me your faith without the works. How are you going to do it? And I will show you my faith. How will I do it? By my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Demons also agree with you. <laughs> are you getting my point? 
He said, demons also believe, if that's what believing is. He said, if that's what believing is, demons also believe, but what is the consequence? They shudder. And they tremble in terror. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works, and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works? when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Now what I want to start talking about today is an, is an extension of what we're talking about when we say we are agents of faith and light. And last time I said being light means that we introduce the order of God. We introduce the culture of God into things that are done. We introduce the culture of God into our marriage ceremony, ceremonies. We introduce the culture of God into our burial ceremonies. We introduce the culture of God into our naming ceremonies. We introduce the culture of God into everything that we do. We introduce the culture of God into how we run our families. We introduce the culture of God into how we relate with our children. That's what it means we are light. We introduce the culture of God into civil service. If we are working for Nigerian government, the state government, the federal government, we introduce the culture of God, the way we as Christians will live, will become the way other people will be copying. It becomes a standard for them to set, you know, for them to follow. All right, we set a new standard. That's what it means to be light. Now, what I'm going to bring out here today is that it is a natural and it's an expected outworking of faith that is genuine. Without intending to do it, I have to go by it again. The rule of works in faith. I have to keep preaching these things until people fully understand them and they will be able to defend the truth anytime it is presented. Now, you notice something here. Of course, this has happened again and again. People who learn grace, they learn. You see, when you want to read the Bible, try and read it complete. Please go and read my article again when I say why James had to write. Salvation by faith, or is it salvation by works? How did I title it now? I said, why James had to write. This was why James wrote. Let me explain it again. Truth usually has two sides. The problem with people is that they see one side of, of the coin. I'm looking at it as a coin now. They see one side, and it's so beautiful, all right? And they hold on to that side. Because of that, they are not balanced. Ed Cole said, balance is the key to life. You must know both sides of the truth. You cannot just hold on to one side of a coin and say you know the whole coin. You don't. Sometimes people see the other side of the coin and they don't like it. All right? They don't like it. And then they form doctrines on the one side. And when they have formed those doctrines, all right, they now want to hold on to them tightly and refusing to budge. No matter how much you tell them, look at the other side of the coin. They won't budge. Because, you see, when people, you know, as we're driving from Abakliki, something dawned on me. That when you are arguing doctrines, actually, I just told myself I won't argue doctrines with anybody again. I won't. 
All right? I will explain to those who listen to me. I will explain my doctrines. I will not argue with anybody. Because I realize that people hold on to doctrines not because of whether it is true or false, but because of their personality and what they want out of life. Are you getting my point? That, that, that's why they hold on to doctrines. It is not because they have been shown to be that it's true or they, are, they can prove that it is true, but they like it. That's why they develop what the Bible calls itching ears. You understand? You know, I told you once, uh, this is my best illustration. I was in church, and there was Women's Day. Is it Mother's Day or Women's Day? Now, do they have Women's Day different from Mother's Day? Anyway, whatever day, you know what I'm talking about. It was the day for the daughters and the women of God. All right? So I was in church. And the pastor was preaching, describing some kinds of women. Tough women. Women that can stand up to any man. And some women are so strong, they can jack up a man by his collar and lift him up from the ground. And, and the one lady beside me, walked, she couldn't control herself. She was jumping. Yeah. Preach it. Yes, sir. Oh, oh, according to you. That this is the word of God. She was so excited. Then the pastor, being a man of God, he got to a point in time. He said, look, all right, women can be very powerful. But women are different from men. The lady sat down. And she said, we are the same. <laughs> she was beside me. I did not say, madam. She said, no. The pastor will say something. There are things that God created for men to do. There are things that God created for She said, no. We are the same. This was the same person that was jumping and jumping. You think she was jumping because this man preached the word of God. No, she was excited because this man was saying the things that she wanted to hear. That's what they call itching ears. Paul said something. This was his testimony. He said, I did not shy away or I did not hold back from declaring to you. In Ephesus, he told them, the whole counsel of God. I taught you this side. I taught you that side. You need to have balance. You need to have balance. This is where the problem often is. In this matter of faith and works. Salvation is by faith. It's an incontrovertible statement. From the Old Testament, we began to learn it. The just shall live by faith. Habakkuk told us that. It's not now. And Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him for righteousness. Moses documented that for us. It's in the Bible. In the New Testament, in Romans chapter 4, Paul explained extensively concerning the fact that the justification that we are walking by, our justification is by faith and is not by works. He explained in, uh, in that Ephesians, in the one he was trying to do, chapter 2, that by grace we have been saved through faith. It's not of works so that nobody should boast. Nobody will be able to boast. It is purely by faith. It's purely by faith. Now, Peter now said, Paul said some things. Hard to understand. People take them and twist them. They did that time. They were twisting these things to their own destruction. So, you will see something here. James told us that, what is faith self? Now, I'm modifying the words of James now. What is faith self? You say you have faith, therefore you are saved. He said, so what does faith mean? Like Banky will say, faith does not mean I agree. He said, because if it was just they agree, all the demons agree. Ask the demons who hung on the cross. They know it's Jesus. There's no, there's no controversy. They testify, Jesus we know. Is that not what they said? Who is it that hung on the cross? They know it's Jesus. Who rose again from the dead? They know it's Jesus. 
Who was the son of God? They know it's Jesus. When they saw him, you holy one of God, have you come to torment us before the time? Even before he went to the cross, they knew who, they knew who he was. There's no controversy. Simple question. Do they have saving faith? The answer is no. James made it clear they don't have saving faith. So James emphasized to us, therefore, that there are different kinds of faith. There is a kind of faith, if you want to use the word faith, because the Bible really doesn't use it as faith. There is a kind of faith that demons have, that what is the result? They tremble in the presence of Jesus, but they don't have the salvation that comes from agreeing, in quote, with God. Are you getting my point? They don't have that salvation. They don't have it. There's a kind of faith, in fact, what he was saying that, you see, faith can be dead. Please tell all those who say you are saved by faith and by faith alone, that the question is that, are you sure the faith is alive? And it is clear from what we read in James, James said that faith, uh, uh, there's one word I like. Okay, yes, verse 14. He said, what use is it, my brethren? If someone says he has faith, but he has no works. Can that faith save him? If you have the, ampli- uh, the New Living Translation, it says, Can that kind of faith save anyone? That's verse 14. And that's James chapter 2. He now went to verse 17 and says, If even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead. Now, you see what he was trying to say? So we have what the Bible calls dead faith. And how do you know dead faith? It's only faith that is professed. It does not have works. The person will claim, I'm saved by faith. But his works will say, I have dead faith. And his works is right in that his faith cannot save anyone. Please let me explain to us again. People with dead faith think they have faith. Do you get what I'm going to explain? Assuming I were to give you a music set. Big music set. And it's in a container. And somebody comes to you and says, you can't organize your own birthday party. You don't have music. You will say, I do. I have a music set. Okay, assume I'm a crooked salesman. I do have a music set. I have a music set. Banky sold it to me. Look, your birthday party is tomorrow. Do you have music? Yes. Why? You can see the music set there. It's well wrapped. It's in your sitting room. Is 4,000 watts. And I don't mean PMPO. I mean RMS. What's the difference? When you want to buy something, they'll put 4,000 watts PMPO. That's peak music power output. That's the way they deceive you into buying it. I learned long ago, you want to know the real power, turn it around. Look for the one they put RMS. That's the one that will let you know the real power. This one is 4,000 RMS, which means peak that is the peak music power output is 40,000 or 400,000, you know, ready to bring down, bring down the house. And the man keeps telling you, oh boy, you don't have music for tomorrow. Tomorrow comes, we're starting party by five, you unpack by quarter to five, you plug it, you switch it on. It doesn't even shake. You change the plug, you check your socket. Finally, let's make a long story short. Let's not get too dramatic. You find out that I sold you a dead music set. Can such a music set organize a party? The answer is no. The truth is that you were confident that you had a music set because you could see it. What should you have done when somebody said, do you have a music set? You will say yes. You will pull it out. Plug it. Say, let me have one of the CDs. You put it in. 
and he plays. And then when he releases two lines, then you say, you see? Do you get my point? A music set without music output is dead, being by itself. Do you get the point? Such a music set cannot help anyone. Many people are going around with dead faith. They are the ones that will come to Jesus on the last day and say, did we not cast out demons in your name? He said, but they cast out demons. That's what they call environmental anointing. In which Saul will jam the prophets and prophesy. Are you getting my point? And it deceives them. Let me tell you the, what they will say this morning if they lived this period in Nigeria. They will say, well, we're not Dickens in your name. They won't ca- they, 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 who, who cast out demons these days? We don't have time for such things. Do we prophesy? We don't. So what we do is get promoted. We become, were we not Dickens in your name? Did you, like, listen, this is what we do. Did I not personally finish one parish in your name? I built a church in your name. That's what we do. We will tell him that did I not give this amount of money in your name? The person will have a false confidence. And Jesus will say, you should have known that we had no relationship. And they say, how would we have known? He said, all the while, you were doers of what? Iniquity. For him, that's a sign. That's a sign. That's a sign. That is a sign. You had an, a show outside, but inside your heart, you didn't take my word seriously. There was no repentance in your heart. You continued your dead works. You wanted to be deceived. That was why you were deceived. You wanted to be deceived. You chose the church you went to. You went to a church, Jesus will say, where they preached and they told you, the soul that sins, it shall die. You told them they were preaching condemnation. Then you went to a church where the pastor said, if you have ever agreed that Jesus is the Son of God, that your faith has saved you. Even if to all intents and purposes, currently you are living as an unbeliever, and even if you renounce your faith, you are saved. What I've told you is a statement from the mouth of one of America's most prominent preachers. He's on TV every week. I just saw him on TV last week. He wrote a book, and these are the words inside the book. That the salvation of a Christian is secure, no matter what happens. He said, he doesn't think this should happen. He said, but if it were to happen, that a Christian starts living for all practical purposes as an unbeliever, his salvation is intact. He said, even if he were to deny his faith, even if he denies Jesus now, his salvation is intact. He said, such is the greatness of God's grace. He said, we are not saved. These were his words. We are not saved by continuing faith. He said we are saved by faith that happened once at a time. And that God is so faithful. Because of his faithfulness, you can never lose that salvation. Now, if you believe such a thing, you are begging to be deceived. It's so contrary to simple reasoning. All you need to do, assuming they taught you that, take the Bible, read from Matthew to Revelation. Then when you are done reading it, ask yourself, what I heard can it possibly be true? You will realize that it's not true. I mean, simple reasoning will let you know that it's not true. This was preached, or this is being preached till now, by one of America's most prominent preachers. No, I'm one person that can stand disagreement. I can disagree with people on small, small things. That was too weighty for me. Next time I saw him on TV preaching, I couldn't listen to him. 
This was a man who at the time I downloaded scores of his messages. He said because of that, he left the Pentecostal cycles and joined a particular denomination because he liked this truth. I told myself, this is, not, this is an intelligent man. There must be a reason why he believes this. Listen, you don't know what's pushing people. Maybe he had a son that he loved very much. And the boy backslid, he renounced Christ. And his heart will be broken to know he will never see the boy again. So it's easier for him to accept that, no, he believes at the age of eight, but at the age of 15, and lived riotously, not believing in God, denouncing and renouncing Jesus. He died at the age of what? The father doesn't want to accept what must have been the fate of this boy. So he will believe a lie. Makes him feel good. What I've told you is the extreme I found. I'm one person that I don't like classifying people, not just use title like that, but... If anybody tells you what I have said, please, I don't want to tell you don't believe it. I don't know how you can believe that. There are too many things in the Bible that makes it clear this cannot possibly be true. Paul told us clearly, don't brag. He said, because if the natural branches were removed, you too can be removed. He was talking to Christians. I don't want to teach on that now. You go and read it. When he, when he spoke in Hebrew, let me just read that one. I just read that from Hebrews chapter 6. I just read that one verse, you know, because of time. He said, for, verse 4, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and, have, and, and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. Did you see that? That's verse 4 to 6. Let me just read it in, ampl- in the, uh, a, part, a portion of it in the New Living Translation, in verse 6. He said, And who then turn away from God? It is impossible to bring such back to repentance. He said, By rejecting the Son of God, they have themselves, he said, they themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. That's what the Bible says. I don't know how people get around this. I like David Parsons teaching at the particular point. He explained. He said, the Bible says, whosoever believes in him. He said, the word is believes. And I like the um, amplified rendering. He said, who holds on to? You know, leans on. They give a, give a number of words that shows persistence in faith. I'm not even here to quarrel with anybody. If anybody can believe what this other man said, this American preacher whose name I did not mention, let me put it like this. I wonder how you reason. You and I, obviously, we are not using the same template. We are not using the same kind of brain. Maybe you live in Jupiter, I live in Pluto. Let me not say somebody is on Earth. Let me not pretend like I know and you don't know. Let's just assume that you and I are not thinking alike. Now, why am I saying these things again? I just want people to be convinced. What I'm talking about is like, I'm reducing something. Faith, listen to this, can be dead. James made it clear. That's the rule of works now. James made it clear. The only way you will know if a faith is alive is by checking the kind of works it is producing. It's the analysis of works that will let you know whether somebody's faith is alive or the faith is dead. It's the kind of works it's producing. As a matter of fact, what Paul called faith or what Paul called to believe 
he has a crucial component, which Paul didn't bother explaining, simply because it was an inherent part of it. If I say, please, wet this handkerchief for me, do I need to tell you, put water on it? You now have an argument somewhere. Say, what past bank meant was wet? There are different ways to wet the handkerchief. We could call wetness B, or we could wet it with oil. We could wet it with engine oil. Can send it to um, CVMS. Tell you they wet this, put it in black engine oil for me. You know, you could just know, say, you are high on something. Because normal people, once I said wet, they look and say, please, is there water? I don't have to use the word water. If I say, please, pour water on this for me, will you ask me, sir, do you want it back dry? <laughs> Are you getting my point? Once I use wet, Englishman says, you can't separate wet from water. In the same manner, Paul never could separate repentance from faith. So when he used the word believe, he didn't need to tell people, you see, when you believe, it has to go with repentance. He's like, if you don't know it, why am I talking to you? I don't know whether you're getting my point. Paul, the champion of salvation by faith, he spoke so much about repentance that it's amazing people don't notice it. They now say that what you need is to agree. And I said to you before, you can see it. Agreement and faith don't mean the same thing. They may look alike, they don't mean the same thing. I agree that Jesus is the Son of God. I agree he died on the cross. I agree he rose again from the dead on the third day. I agree he ascended to heaven. It's not the same thing as faith. You know, I was reading Jerry Savelle's book, his life story, in the footpath of the prophet. That's the name of the book. There was something he said. He talked about his struggles in life. That he had a call of God to ministry at the age of 10 or 11. Then one day, he decided not to pray again because he asked God for something. God did the opposite. <laughs> he prayed. He said, Lord, I want to break this pole vaulting record in my school. He jumped and broke his leg. He said, listen, God, I said, let's break a record. You are breaking my leg. You understand know, my point? <laughs> so he got angry. Let, let, let me make a long story short. He knew all the theory about the Lord Jesus. He said one day, as a young boy, actually, they made an altar call. He went forward. And all that he knows that happened was that his name has now been registered as a member of the church. Now, he said something. He said, all my life, I refused to surrender to him. He had all the information, but he did not surrender. Now, I was reading him, and I remembered, I said, listen, no, we forget that we accept Jesus not only as Savior, but as what? Lord. He knew about the Savior part of Jesus, but to accept him as Lord, he refused to make that commitment. Took him a long time. Eventually he did. I was reading, I just said, okay, oh, oh, oh. This man is reminding me of some facts again. People can get close to the cross. They can even cling to that cross looking for salvation. But the desire for salvation does not save. It's accepting Jesus as Lord that saves. If Jesus does not become your Lord, you are not saved. You are hanging around the salvation point. That's why the demons can know all the things they know. Jesus is not their Lord. Are you getting my point here? That's why a man like Paul emphasized again and again the matter of repentance. Let's just read a few of his references. 
Let's take one from the book of Acts, chapter 20. You see Paul here talking about this. That's because we're not going to take it in context, okay? I read from verse, um, let's start from verse 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 20. Paul was saying that you know how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. What was I teaching? Solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of what? Of what? Repentance. Of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. He said, I, was, I did not forget to teach you about the necessity of repenting from sin, New Living Translation, and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. What am I trying to say? You see that salvation, as far as Paul was concerned, involve repentance. Do you get what I'm trying to say here? You know what Peter said when he went to the house of Cornelius? Let's read that again. It's important. The same book of Acts, chapter 11. See one thing he said here. We all know the story of what happened in the house of Cornelius, right? How the Holy Spirit fell and all of that. He began to tell the story when he got back home and people were you know, they were challenging him. Why did you go to the house of the Gentiles? Let us read from verse 16. He said, I remembered, okay, let me back up a bit slightly. Just to give us a, a bit of the gist. Now, verse 15. Peter said, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it did us, did upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave us also after believing in the Lord Jesus. He said, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, what happened? They quieted down and glorified God, saying, well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also, what? Repentance that leads to life. Can you see that? Don't forget, Peter was still speaking. When the Holy Spirit came. But as far as God was concerned, he couldn't separate faith in their hearts from true repentance. Please, I hope you are getting my point. Because people have asked before, is repentance necessary for salvation? The answer is yes. As far as God is concerned, there is no faith except there is repentance. You can't claim you have believed if the faith does not show in the outward works of repentance. As far as the apostles understood Faith cannot be separated from repentance. The one who has believed has repented. The church, I mean, the apostles did not understand that somebody can claim to have salvation, but his works don't show it. Like I told you, one of my brothers told me about a pastor in their office of a big Pentecostal branch, denomination, a branch, and he was known for being a womanizer. Now, let me say something. I'm not saying Christians don't fall into sin. They do. But I use the word fall. Fall meaning that they get up. It's not their character. But this one didn't fall. He said, the fact that we are pastors do not mean that we are holy. He said, it does not mean that we are holy. That's what he said. That is, I will continue what I'm doing after I'm already saved. Yes, I have seen that before. People continue in their evil works. As far as they are concerned, they are saved. 
At least we have given God what he needs. Agree that Jesus is the Lord. Agree that Jesus died on the cross. Once we have agreed. When did you agree? When you answered an altar call. As far as you are concerned, now your salvation is intact. Brethren, I have no such teaching from the Bible. I have no such teaching from the Bible. I don't have it. It's gaining popularity in our country today. It's good we let people know. Watch out for it. It is not true. Like I keep saying, even if it, I mean like, why are, we, why are we even having that discussion? Why are we even having that discussion? It's an unnecessary discussion. You see where I'm going, please. This just to introduce what I'm trying to start teaching from today. All right? See, faith always has outward manifestations. If ever since you, gave, you, you thought you gave your life to Christ 20 years ago, you've never seen a, a difference in your lifestyle and the lifestyle of your neighbors. You came out from amongst a group of friends, went to jog, give your life to Christ, came back and joined them. And you, all of you have been living the same way for 20 years. I have news for you. You were not saved that day. You thought you were. By the time we are done today, see, Pastor Kemute is an, a specialist in praying for people who want to be saved. He will drag you to a the water. There's crocodile inside. He will baptize you. <laughs> now, I'm not ashamed to say this. The truth what I've just said to you. Jesus, you don't meet in your current state. It's not right. You say, boy, one day I answered another call. He said, boy, you're a doer of iniquity. When I said it already, people said I'm saying salvation is by works. I wrote about it. People said I'm saying salvation is by works. I don't even argue with people anymore. I told them I've learned that they would like what they want to believe. So stick with it. Because I think my English is clear enough. Let me tell you why salvation cannot be by works. It is simple. It's too expensive. Mm-hmm. That's why salvation cannot be by works. That's why salvation cannot be by works. It is too expensive. And what you are doing today cannot pay, that is the good you are doing today, cannot pay for the wrong you did yesterday. Are you getting my point? Yeah, it's too expensive. It's too expensive. Listen, no matter how trivial you think the sin is, it's expensive. And what do you call trivial sin anyway? You are the one that thinks it is trivial. Do you know how God judges it? Because all that Saul did was refused to repent when he was corrected. Do you know that's one of the worst sins of the Bible? I'm not saying it's the worst. There are some things higher, but when you rank them, this one falls in the top five percentile. That is, you are corrected. Your sin is obvious, and you refuse to change your mind. Oh, God. God kills people for that. You'll be amazed that he will spare an arm rub and, leave and kill you. <laughs> yes, that's how, the way God does things. When he tells Saul, Go and do this, and Saul does not do it. He's angry, right? Then when someone comes and says, you have not done what the Lord said do, and Saul said, no, I have done it. I have done everything God said. Then God is beyond angry. He rejects people on the spot. Refusal to accept correction is one of the worst sins you can commit against God. That's why God could forgive David for the terrible thing he did but could not forgive Saul for a small thing appeared like. So what I'm going to say is that sin, you can't even, you don't know how bad it is. Salvation, it cannot be by works. Because refusal to sin today does not pay for the sin of yesterday. Obedience of today, listen to this. The obedience of today is obedience in itself. It's not payment for disobedience of yesterday. I don't know whether you're getting my point. If the Lord gives instructions today, 
and you obey those instructions, you have just done the work of today. You have just done the work of today. The disobedience of last year, this one does not pay for it. Sin is too expensive. We can't pay. There's nothing we can do. That's why from time, even the days of David, forgiveness has always been by sacrifice. It has always been by sacrifice. Please, people of God, don't let modern day we have so we have woven sacrifice and money to mean the same thing. They don't mean the same thing. When I say forgiveness has always been by sacrifice, I mean blood. I mean blood. I mean blood. Do you know Zophar, Bildad, and what's the name of the other guy? Three of them. Anyway, those three friends of um, Job. For all the things they said that they thought was, were right, God was angry with them. Job had to offer sacrifices for their words. Did you hear what I said? Job had to offer sacrifices and prayers for their words. So that's why from time, listen to this, it has always been by what? Sacrifice. And I don't mean you give money. I mean blood had to be shed. And that blood does not take away sin. So it just helps to put it in a vault. To keep it for when the real blood, because the Bible says the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sins. Only the blood of Jesus had the power to do it. So those who sacrificed animals were just expressing their faith in God. God was the one that now came and wiped away their sins by the blood of Jesus. I hope you are getting my point here. So what is the role, therefore, of these works we are talking about? It is a sign that we really believe. It is a sign that the faith we claim to have is not dead. It is sad. That's why Paul will say, I'm saying this weeping. When Paul saw the reality of this, when he will be talking like this, he will be shedding tears. Maybe I don't understand it enough. That's why I'm not crying. Because he will look at people and say, all these people, many of them had dead faith. Because they go to church and they've been ordained pastors, they think they are safe. And as a matter of fact, many people are not safe. Their lives are in jeopardy. Their eternal destiny is in jeopardy. But they are lying to themselves. And God says, I have made it clear. I have made it clear. How can you tell me that you are saved? How is it possible that you think that you are saved with this kind of, you know, ungodliness that's going on in your life? He leaves it to you as a sign. But people turn around and go and look for a gospel that tells them that, you know, last time I analyzed it here, people now decide to believe that works don't save people. It's a sacrifice of Jesus. Is that true? Yes. You say, therefore, <laughs> my works can't condemn me. We established last time that logic, the logic is faulty. They say, I had nothing to do with my salvation. Therefore, I cannot have something to do with losing it. Thank you, with my condemnation. That is very funny. It's like me saying that I had nothing to do with my being born. Therefore, I cannot have anything to do with my dying. Listen to me. People have taken overdose of drugs and they died. They were born without their consent. They died by their own works. Some took it deliberately. Some accidentally. They had a drug habit. They were using heroin. Using heroin. One day they took an overdose. It's a major, a major killer till today in the Western world of young men. Their father did not discuss with them when they were conceived. 
I wonder they didn't discuss that with them. They were just born. Yet, when it was time to die, they died by their own hands. So that logic is faulty. To say the fact that you were not involved in your salvation, therefore, you cannot be involved in your condemnation is not true. It is possible. For time's sake, look, there are so many scriptures. So many. You can see from the time of Jesus, what they used to do is, Jesus came into Galilee. Mark chapter 1, for time's sake, we won't read it. I'll just read it out to you. He said, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repentance goes with believing. That's Mark chapter 1. I just read verses 40, from verse 14. And that's what you find all over the Bible. In fact, when Jesus spoke to them in that uh, Luke chapter 24, we refer to once in a while. He says, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And he said to the apostles, you are witnesses of these things. That is a commandment of Jesus, is that repentance should be preached. If anybody, Paul could not have thought that it was, not, it was unnecessary to preach repentance. Because that was what Jesus commanded them to preach. If you read from Acts chapter 5, verse 31, he said he's the one that's speaking about Jesus. He said he's the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. <laughs> repentance goes with what? With forgiveness, with salvation, with uh, repentance. Sorry, repentance goes with faith. Two of them are joined together. That's why Peter said it also. He said, God does not want anybody to perish, but that everybody should believe. Was that what he said? No. He said that everyone should do what? Come to repentance. Because faith and repentance, they are the same thing. I hope you are getting my point here. What's the point I've made to us today? To let us understand that faith that is in the heart will always produce works outside. And if it is not producing works outside, it is because it is not in the heart at all. I hope you are getting my point. When it's not producing works outside, it's because it's not in the heart at all. So I want to say to you, therefore, when people tell you that, you know, what we want to talk about a country like ours, they give the impression that Christianity does not solve problems. Because if it did, for the amount of Christianity we have in Nigeria... That we should have seen too many problems solved. That won't be where we are today. I have two answers to that. Number one. First, you overestimate the amount of Christianity we have. What you can check is the amount of church going we have. Uh, Sit on number one. Sit on number one. No, (laughs) I'm sitting on that number one. Even on that number one, you don't realize the amount of problems the little Christianity we have have solved. You don't understand the amount of problems that little Christianity has solved. If you understood it, you'll be thanking God every day. It is a matter of fact that this, gospel, this, uh, this uh, scripture applies to Nigeria. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. It's of the Lord's mercies. Anybody tells you that Christianity is, it's, the person doesn't know what he's saying, he's lying. The person does not know what he's saying. But the second point is this which is an extension of the first point, all right? 
This is a fact. Most people you call Christians in Nigeria don't believe. They don't. They don't. The faith is not as much as we think. It is not the Christianity that is a problem. Like Rav Zachariah said, they have not yet practiced it. You can't, that Christianity has not been tested. You can't say it doesn't work. It has hardly been tested. It's hardly been tested. I told them, what was there, was, okay, it was Ndoka and Eddie, when we come from, and yesterday when we were going to preach in, um, in Abakiliki. I said, the title pastor now annoys me. I wish I could, choose, I wish I could rebrand. You know they call it rebranding. I like the name Brother Banky. That Pastor Banky, honestly, I wish I could be called Brother Banky. If I like the name Rabbi Self. <laughs> we just find the English word for it, the common English word. Or let me use, what is the Hebrew word for teacher? Eh? Oh, yeah, Kuzi. Ah, that one is a title. <laughs> oh, I like it. It like, looks like a title. If I build a house of it on a new street, I will call it Onye Kuzi Avenue. Let me get back to my message, all right? That's just by the way. You know one reason why I don't like the title, Pastor? Now, these days, I don't like my face on billboards. Everywhere I'm going, they say, picture. I say, you can tell them I'm not sending photo. Write my name. Those who know me, know me by my name. Those who don't know me, my picture is irrelevant. So what is the problem now? You know why I, so I, I stopped liking photo? Why I stopped liking my picture on billboard? Not just spiritual, though. Not, just a reaction. When I go to Port Harcourt, in fact, that's when I got tired. I went to Port Harcourt. I saw all the smiling faces. And I looked, and in my spirit, I said, most of these people are fake. Oh, they are. In Enugu, they are all mostly fake, too. Yeah, it's the word of God I've just told you. Dust says the Lord. They are mostly fake. Lord, you didn't say. Dust thinks the Lord. They are mostly fake. Well, I know what he's thinking. They are mostly fake. The faker they are, the bigger they are billboards. They are all over the place. They are all over the place. That was why I just... I, I, when we saw in Portacot, our host there, they would print big billboards. I told them, please, remove my... When I just saw my face, ha! I just looked fake. <laughs> you know, because of my prejudice, I just look at my photo. I said, look at the way you are smiling. I, I, I said, no. Next one, the guy was designing. I said, oh boy. I just saw the guy who was designing it. I said, fade out the picture. So he turned my face to a watermark. But the third one, I said, just remove it. Those who know me, they know the name. Just remove it. Since that time, now, like I said, nothing spiritual. Nothing spiritual. It's just me. Nothing wrong with picture. If you want your picture, pose like pose like this. Anyone you like do. <laughs> Anyone you like do. It's just me. I'm going to emphasize something to us. Listen. There's so many fake preachers in town. So anybody tells you that Christianity doesn't work, it doesn't understand it. It has not entered yet properly. It has not entered as much as we think. The fact is that it actually works. It is a power of God unto deliverance from all kinds of troubles. All kinds of troubles. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's a power of God unto salvation. For anyone who believes, we're back to it. Do they really believe? 
They come to church. Our churches are full. But do they really believe? Fact, they don't. Because if they really believed, it will show in their offices. If they really believed, it will show in their politics. Christianity is not what the problem is. It's the fact that they have not yet believed. That's what I'm talking about. What I want to begin to show us again from today, all right, are the outward manifestations of faith that's inside the heart. Because I read through the scriptures and I found out that Paul was always careful to talk about them. You know, many times we are preaching. We preach faith. Faith is in the heart. You are saved by faith. Your spirit is pure. I don't love that. We make it look like that's all that Paul said. Paul didn't teach like that. You read through your Bible, Paul will always, he will always start with the theory. I want to talk about theory now. I mean that he will start with the invisible. He starts with the spiritual realities. Then when he has spent time talking about that, he will now say, therefore, saying that these things are true, how are we going to live our lives? He now starts giving us the practical things. Two sides to it. One, that show that we really have the life of God now in us. And two, the practical things that allows or that, that we allow the blessing of God pass through the structure that is built by the new lifestyle so that they become tangibly manifested. And this is on the last side. Let me say it again. Whatever God wants to do, let me go over what I said before. I believe that God has a destiny for this nation. Yeah, he does. People have prophesied it. This is a challenge he is throwing down to this generation. That what has been prophesied will not just happen like that. Except this generation does what it's supposed to do in two areas. One, preaching the true word of God. The pure word of God that really redeems people in reality. And two, they start practicing it in their lives so as to create a new culture in the environment. It's within that new environment culture, that new environmental culture, that the manifestation of the, of the glory of God that has been prophesied will arrive. Let me give you an example. This, incidentally, has worked in a funny way. Do you know, even though for a wrong reason a lot of times, but generally, thank God for what has happened. Do you know, to a large extent, Nigerian Christians have been taught to give for a lot of times, wrongly, for wrong reasons, but the culture is being pushed across to them. We have not learned it enough, but we need to learn it. The culture we have learned, all right, is that we give for what we are going to get. But God has deputized some of us and commanded us to go and teach the truth about giving. So we're out there now preaching the truth that you don't give for what you are going to get. Giving is a ministry. Now, what I'm trying to, what, you see what I'm trying to say? When people learn that, what happens is this. To promote the gospel within the country, into Africa, and into the rest of the world. Now, the, what I want to say is not the word of God. It's my opinion based on truth that I understand. I didn't say God told me to say this. See these Arab countries that are Muslim Muslims? You understand? A revival will break out if you start from Nigeria. Amen. Yeah, that's what I believe. Pakistan will be saved from Nigeria. The peace, you see, peace of God will go to Afghanistan. It will come from here. It won't come from America. When you hear the way they preach, you will understand why. Listen, the way a lot of our brethren preach from abroad, God can't use them in some areas. You see, their gospel is not pure. They are polarized. When they come, it's as if, look, we have come to prove to you that God is a Jew. Now, you are coming to preach the gospel of Christ. 
You are coming to people who have problems with the Jews to show to them that God loves the Jews, he hates you. How can you preach to those people? You cannot. I've reasoned about it. The only people that can hold the truth of God have to either be from that very area, but I think God will use people from this area to tell them the truth. We will export this gospel. Pure one, pure, undiluted, crystal clear. But you know what? It costs money. And one of the things that God does, all right, is to move resources to that. And one of the things he will do is to teach people the culture of free giving, not for what they are going to get. Do you know he taught it to Americans for a long time, and they were able with that to push the gospel all over the world. Till today, Americans have the giving culture. It's their culture. It's just a culture with them. The routine, look, you don't need to be a preacher for them to give to you. Just show them a course. That's why their elections are funded by donations. Our election, let's not deceive ourselves. Elections in Nigeria right now are funded by government money. But go to the United States, they fund it from the generosity of children We give donations to elections. They believe in a candidate. They, so that they have to write a law that there's a maximum that you can give. So that, big, so that money bags not control elections. There's some people who went to court, challenged the law again, that's that freedom, all kinds, of, I don't even know the state right now. But the point is that they are used to funding elections from their personal generosity. Nobody needs to preach to you. If you give to Hillary Clinton, you will receive when you get to her fire. There's nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is what I'm going to make you. So you see, they have a culture, all right, of sponsoring elections from generosity. If you tell them earthquake occurred somewhere, you know, Haiti or South America, Indonesia Islands, you'll be amazed at the amount of money they will take from there and rush to the place where there's been an earthquake. In fact, preachers even say it. I've heard um, people like uh, um, one, of, one, one American preacher, anyway, explain that, do you know, when there's a natural disaster, the amount of money their ministries receive reduces. Because Christians redirect their monies to where natural disaster occurred for relief purposes. It's just a culture. They have a giving culture. That's why they control a lot of things in the world. I'm giving us an example. Now, for us also, for God to do many of the things he wants to do, it has to become a culture amongst us to just be givers. Not as if when a preacher comes and tells a long story, they will bring money. Usually we bring it for projects that, are, that cannot explain the, that is, the impact in the body of Christ, the impact in the nations, the impact on the earth is small compared with the amount of money spent. We build buildings that are useless. Why? Because the spirit with which he gathered the money wasn't good. And useless buildings require more money to, to maintain. So we preach more lies to get more money to maintain our useless buildings. We do that. Nothing wrong with building, but we just have to reason. Why am I building? Why are we building? But usually when, what we are doing is not reasonable to some of our people. We need to lie to them. That you do this for God so that he can build your own house for you. Are you getting my point here? So what God wants to do, listen to me, we need to learn the right cultures. And those cultures come out from serious teaching of truth and practicing thereof by the church of God. 
I hope you are getting my point here. No, so when Paul will preach, and we're going to look at those things one by one, Paul will say, This is the spiritual reality. You have been redeemed. This is spiritual reality. I'd like to give an example. Quickly open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Now, I'm going to go down to chapter 4, but please permit me to just scroll back to the beginning. So I can show some of the spiritual truths God released through Paul. What I call the theories. The things that are in the realm of the spirit. The things that, you know, are the intangible things. That can only be in the heart when you believe them, but will not be outside. Paul began from chapter 1. He explained, Ephesians chapter 1. He said, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. You see around verse 3. And he went ahead to explain all of that. He said that we have obtained an inheritance. We have been predestined. Paul explained all of these things. He will go down to verse chapter 2. He said, you were dead in your trespasses. You walked in the way of the world. But now, what is happening is that you have been saved by grace through faith. Are you seeing? These are spiritual truths that Paul will be explaining to them. He said, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works so no one can boast. He says in verse 10, For you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God predestined. Then he kept, keeps on talking. What about Jews and Gentiles? He said, ah, there's no longer a partitioning. He said in verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. He keeps on saying all of these things. In act, if you go to chapter 3, he began to talk again about the mysteries. Verse 4, he says, by referring to this, now when you read, you can understand my insight into the mysteries of Christ. How those things were kept away from previous generations, but now they have been revealed. And what is that? He's explained that, this, that the Gentiles also are partakers of the unfathomable, I'm reading now verse 8, riches of Christ. Paul kept on talking like this. It gets down to chapter 4. He talked about the fact that there is one body. There is one spirit. There is one Lord. There is one baptism. He said, we all have one calling. We have been called. He now says that we all have gifts according to the measure of the of grace, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. I'm mixing things up now. But he said, God, he said Jesus ascended on high. He gave gifts unto men. He gave some as apostles and prophets, and all of that. Why? For the edifying of the body, to build up the body of Christ, to, till we attain to the unity of the faith. That's verse 13. He said, until we are no longer children, who are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but speaking in truth in love, we grow up and all of that. Now, all of these things are the theories, the fundamental truths, the fundamental spiritual truths of Christianity. Paul finished speaking about that in verse 16. In verse 17, he now switched gears. In verse 17, I said, So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind. If you see from now on, till he finished, Paul began to talk practical things. Until he got to this point, he was talking theoretical things. After this point, he began to talk what? Practical things. He will start telling you, lay aside falsehood. Speak the truth. It's practical to one another. That's verse 25. Be angry, but don't sin. 
That is, don't let anger stay in your heart so much that the sun will go down on your anger. He who steals should steal no more, but should learn to walk. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Are you seeing that in verse 29? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Chapter 5, he will tell you, walk in love. In verse 3 of chapter 5, immorality and any impurity or greed must not even be named amongst you. This man keeps talking. Verse um, 6, he will continue. All right, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these doings, those acts, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. You don't do them. Do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. And Paul will keep on talking like this, like this. Be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine. He continues, wives, be subject to your husbands. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. He continues, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Then finally, let me stop at the finally point. Chapter 6, verse 10. He now talked about prayer and he closed the message. Did you see how Paul went? He starts with the theories. You have been saved. You have been bought. You are no longer your own. Your spirit has been renewed. All these things that we preach, salvation is by grace. You understand? When you believe, salvation is yours. You say, okay, if you really believe the things I'm saying, the spirit wants to manifest. How will it manifest? We will see how it is in your everyday life. If you are lying, now listen to this. Why will Paul say, you that lie, don't lie anymore? It's because he said beforehand, sin had dominion over you. But now you have been set free in Christ Jesus. Sin does not have dominion over you. If you want to stop lying, you can stop. He would not have written to the unbeliever, stop lying. Do you get my point? Why? Because sin had dominion over them. Do you get what I'm going to say here? So Paul did not expect that people would believe and believe in like unbelievers. No. He said, if, if indeed, you see later on, Paul talked about proving the genuineness of your faith. If you can't stop lying, you can't stop committing sexual immorality, you can't stop cheating people, he's saying, don't be deceived. You're not saved. Sin still has what? Dominion over you. Because Paul said, do this and prove the genuineness of your faith. He was talking about giving offerings to the people who were suffering that time. He said, these are things you do. But what I want to bring up from, the, from there is the fact about the genuineness of faith. I want to begin to teach from today. It's for Christians to see that, look, there are practical aspects to Christianity. We will sit down and talk about lying to one another. It's there. And that's one thing we don't preach a lot in Christianity because we keep on looking at one side of the coin, especially those of us that claim to be of the word of faith, you know, grace and all of that. We look at one side of the coin. That side does not, in now listen what I'm going to say, in practical terms, it doesn't save. When I say it doesn't save is that it will not break people out of poverty and bondage if they look only at one side of the coin. Have they been liberated in Christ? The answer is yes. However, that liberty in Christ will not become real in their physical lives except they put some things in order. Example I gave earlier, believe God for marital harmony. God, I want to love my wife like this man loves his wife. Oh, no, I want to have, no, that's not the prayer. The prayer, I want to have the kind of peace that this man has. I know somebody, every day complains and complains about his wife. One day I told him, I said, listen, if you do like this, maybe your wife will get away. That, that woman is a witch. 
Say she inherited the witchcraft from her mother. Are you getting my point? The same people want the peace of God in their homes. But they have made up their minds, I will not obey the law or the principle that says, love your wife as Christ loves the church. The peace of God will hang over the house, but there will be no connection. Generation thoughts will be going on, generating power, but transmission is broken down. That's why many things Christians believe for, they don't get them. Not because God has not prepared those things for them, but because the circuits are not in order. That's what I'm beginning to teach today. It's as we begin to practice these things, that we are creating a culture so that the environment, that our nation can actually fulfill the destiny that God created for it in Christ Jesus. I hope you've gotten my point this evening. Let's give the Lord a thing. Let's just bow down our heads and say, Father, thank you.